Thanks, Jeff. And thanks for the, the podium. I'm not sure this thing's built to scale, but we're going <laughs> to fix that. I might just shove it a little bit to the side. Yeah, it just feels like, you know, there's a barrier there between us. And so it's everywhere I go, I do the same things. <laughs> I'm used to it. Hey, can we read Romans 10, 9 together as we get started? Just, just flip it up. You've heard this verse, I bet, some of you, I hope, I hope a million times. This is Romans 10, 9. If there is a backdrop for what, for what we're going to talk about this morning, this is, this is kind of it. It won't be on the screen. It'll be right in front of you if you've got a phone or a tablet or a Bible. I want to unpack some of this throughout this time. And so uh, let's just read it together. I'm, I'm in the NIV, but Romans 10.9 is, uh, if there's a verse that you could put a sticker on evangelism, like this, this would be it, like sharing your faith with others. Romans 10.9, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the big question in life, I was at a forum, an open forum, about three days ago. And you think about search, uh, what we're all about is opening up conversations with people. We're going to talk at length about that this morning and that style and why that's such an impactful style of reaching people today. But the question on the table with about 100 people in the room that came up, and again, open forum is what it is. It's open. It's wide open. It's whatever comes up we talk about. It's where people are. And the big question that day was, what's, what happens after we die? Is there anything after we die? And you can imagine the opinions on that were all over the map. And so we explored that question with that room that morning. And in the back of my mind, Romans 10, 9 is one of those beautiful verses that remind us how are we saved but most people today don't really believe or or think that we really need to be saved from anything we're going to unpack that at length so here's what I want to do is before we dive into this verse and, and unpack that a little bit more this morning the idea of the word believe has been a game changer for me that if you believe believe in your heart is what it says so we, we have to kind of get around what it means to believe, first and foremost. We have different ideas of what that means. That's another question we wrestle with. Well, it seems like that's a really big deal in the Bible. We have to believe in Jesus. Well, what does it mean to believe? And people are all over the map about that. And the second part, it says, is to believe in your heart. And so what I want to do this morning is give you guys a tool and offer a tool for you guys as you think about your faith and those in your realm of influence, your family and friends. How do you speak to people, uh, work with people on a heart level, because it says if you believe in your heart. So let's get a really solid theology of what the heart is as we move forward. So, so if I back up just a moment, Search is a nonprofit in our city. It's all across, I'd say, 28 cities now. But here's the key idea. We want to build relationships with people. We want to carry on the conversation with people. And all we're doing in the city is creating conversations. And one of the tools that we use to do that with is an open forum. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced anything like this, but has, has Jeff or Monty ever, in the middle of a service, just stopped the message and said, you know, we're just going to have some Q&A for a while. Anybody have any questions about what I just said? It doesn't happen a whole lot in church. That's not an indictment on the church. It's just kind of the way we set things up, right? But here's the premise behind it all. And I, ho I, hope, I hope that you catch this this morning. Whether you grew up in church or you've never been to church a day in your life, Everybody has questions. Everybody has questions. So we're creating spaces 
for those questions to surface for some people for the very first time. To explore whatever it is, anything goes, right? And so there's some skills involved with that. There's some tools involved with that I want to share with you guys along the way. And every guy I meet with one-on-one throughout the week, there's a, there's a grid I use and a heart model I use I want to share with you guys this morning. But as we do that, let's have a little fun with this deal. So that's what we're about. But I think everybody in this room has a bit of a funky relationship with the idea of evangelism. And what I'm doing this morning is, is, is I'm speaking to the 96% of us. 96% of us in this room. Because if you think about most of us in this room, you grew up, or, or whatever comes to your mind when I say the word evangelist, just leave that hanging. You'll fill in the dots, right? And I, I don't know that even two years ago I would have sat down with you and said, I am an evangelist. But I can tell you today with confidence like, I'm an evangelist. I'm one of the 96%, though, because 4% of the church, this is according to research with Barna and David Kinneman, 4% of the church would say, yeah, I have the gift of evangelism. That's like what people think of when you think of evangelism is, this, gosh, there's somebody in this room who has that gift, man. They can just, you know, they stand up, they preach, they proclaim, and people respond like there's a gift there, Right? But what about the other 96% of us in this room who go, I'm not sure I have that gift. That's me. And I think that's a lot of us in the room. So what are we left with? What do we do with that? So I'm going to show you about seven or eight images. And here's the idea on the screen. I want you to pick the image this morning that represents your relationship with evangelism. Like, man, it's a, it's a weird relationship I have with evangelism. The way I see it, experience it, think about my role in it. Which one do you pick? give you one more flyby for the slower processors. That's me. I'm going, I don't know. Feels like a boxing match. I'm scared to death of it. I'm ready to light some flames. It's a lonely place. It feels like riding a bull. I love exploring questions with people. All right, you got it? Everybody good? All right, take two seconds. Two seconds. Let's create a conversation room this morning. Person beside you, which one did you pick and why? I'll give you two seconds. Just go for it. Go for it. What'd you pick? What'd you pick? <laughs> okay. You saw that it's getting punched in the mouth. Awesome. All right. So how interesting is that? I, I imagine across this room, folks picked images all across the board on that, right? Your relationship with evangelism is a bit, a bit complicated at times, right? And again, according to research, the average adult, I'll say it like this. Yeah, the average adult uh, has an average of about two spiritual conversations a year with someone. 
about two, right? So, so if I think of a room this size, I'm going, man, uh, there, there's probably a handful in here who are, who are boxing match folks ready to jump in, have it at any moment with anybody, anytime, anywhere. Let's talk, let's, let's hammer it out, let's debate it out, right? Uh, there's folks in the room uh, where it feels like riding a bull, I'm scared to death. And the reason why is because I'm the only one on the bull, and i got to jump on it by myself. I've got to share with someone by myself. Like, that's scary, right? So we have this relationship with evangelism, and, and I want to show you the image that came up for me. Um, the image that comes up for me, shockingly enough, is the image of what's called a, a waxing monkey frog. Now, I want you to see this photo. So my little family over here, we love taking trips to the zoo. We've been many, many times in Nashville. And I'll never forget the day we walked in, and, and there's, a, there's the tank in there, you know, and this frog is there, and I'm like, waxing monkey frog? Like, what? And, and you've got to find him. I mean, he's in there somewhere. You've got to look. You've got to look close, and he's in there. How many of you guys found him? Got some hands? You got him? That's a lot of people that don't know where he is. <laughs> All right. I'll give you a hand. He's on the stick. Okay, now the thing that stood out to me about this guy is the next slide. When I came up close to the screen and I was like, what is this dude about? Look at his strategy for survival. How to not be seen by day. Be small. Blend in with your surroundings. Don't move. And that was my strategy, I bet, for my first 10 years as a believer. That was my relationship with evangelism. Man, I got be small, blend in, don't move, okay? So what I want to do today and this morning, just for a few moments, I want to share some stories for sure. Uh, I want to talk about a few things that have changed and shifted that I see just in general with this idea of what it means to share our faith. And give you some categories and language to think in when it comes to sharing your faith. Does that make sense? And also that there's one key skill that I want to lay out that, uh, that honestly for the 96% uh, is so freeing. So when you think about, again, evangelism, let's look at this next slide. There's basically three, uh, three models, I guess you could say. Let's go back to the very beginning. There's a blue slide and there's three different modes of evangelism. And you guys have seen and experienced all of this. There are, are folks in this room gifted, literally gifted at proclamational. What do you mean by that? There are folks in this room probably who came to Christ, started a relationship with Jesus because somebody proclaimed it in a dynamic, like, centered way of being. Like they were confident of what they believed and shared with, with winsomeness and stories and illustrations. And it captured your heart and God moved, right? But it was probably in a crowd like this size or bigger proclamational, confrontational. I mean, I, I've, I've taken trips to Peru for 13 years where I sent high school kids two, you know, two by two into the streets to go, we wouldn't call it confrontational, but man, it sure feels like that when you're one-on-one -on -one or two-on-two. -on -two. Think about it. Think about the folks on the side of the, the sidewalk in big cities and things like that. There's a, there's a chase you down, catch you when you're off guard kind of approach, maybe a little bit aggressive. It's confrontational. And the thing I want to lay the groundwork for this morning, just to, to get us all on the same page, is what does it mean to approach relational evangelism? How do you do that? What does that look like? Does that make sense? So in order to go there, it just means simply this. 
With search, it's very simple. We build relationships with people. And it starts one conversation at a time. And honestly, it starts with one person. One person. Now, how freeing is that? That I can build relationships. But here's the other truth that we have to lay out this morning. The average person, probably in this room, if I ask you how many folks you have in your life, or know in your life that are non-believers, it gets, it gets pretty slim. I mean, that was the case for me about two years ago, having been in the church for 10 and 12 years. It was like, I'm about to go engage a bunch of folks that I don't know, and I don't have a ton of relationships with non-believers. Two years in now, that's 80% of the people I hang out with. It was a total flip. Totally weird and totally awesome and totally scary, and it's, it's been exciting and crazy all at the same time. So relational evangelism is a whole different way. And, I, and all I'm saying this morning is none of these are bad. It's not better than the other. I'm just asking the question, is it balanced? Do you see yourself in this room as a person who could engage someone on a faith level relationally? Which means you don't have to see yourself up here. There's a way of being in your city, in this county, with other people that is life-changing and it's process-driven, and it's relational, and it involves questions. And the number one skill, time and time again, listed under that category is listening. And I'm going to share a few stories with you as we go through that. Now, here's what's shifted. Here's what's changed, and here's why this is important, right? Um, I want you to see this, uh, this. This is one of the most helpful uh, uh, descriptions of what's changed in our culture. And, and This is Tim Keller. These aren't my words, but, man, the image of it was just so powerful for me. And the idea is really simple. He says, For a thousand years, the Western church has assumed a missional model in which most people in our culture would feel some sort of pressure or see some social benefit in going to church. And the culture created people that had the basic furniture for a Christian worldview. They usually believed in a belief in God, a personal God, belief in an afterlife, belief in moral law, like it's good to be a good person, that kind of thing, and belief in sin. Like, ultimately, I'm not perfect, and how do I fix that? Like, that was kind of the furniture in the room, right? So church could assume people would just show up in church if they were invited, or Christmas, Easter, wedding, you name it, or funeral. If they came, they would have a general respect for the Bible and some basic understanding of these things, and evangelism was just waiting for people to show up and then connecting the dots. You see that? So what I'm suggesting this morning, what I'm, what I'm describing to you guys, what I'm experiencing as I'm meeting with people left and right, is that those dots are not there anymore. So evangelism isn't really uh, solely just dealing with people's guilt anymore. It's not there, okay? So the dots aren't there. The furniture isn't in place, and it's more than just connecting the dots. So here's some of the shift, I would say, in some of the questions people would be asking. How can I be forgiven for my sin? How can I know I'll go to heaven? How can you prove God exists? To how can I find purpose? How can I deal with loneliness and emptiness? What will help me live a great life now? Not in some distant afterlife, but here and now. Where can I find an answer to the injustices in this broken world? So what's the approach then, if that's the case? So I want to skip down to this, this slide here. And this is, this is um, the way that we train our staff and our team on, on slide 29. This is the traditional model that most of you in this room grew up with. And there's, there's going to be some freedom for a lot of people in the room in the next five or six minutes. Watch this. Traditional model assumes this. There are people in the world. There's a distance between them and God, whatever that means. <laughs> there's brokenness. We would call it sin, right? So how in the world does person A get to God? 
and this is what I grew up with. You see, it's as easy as this. Let's click to the next slide. How do I get there? And the message is, this is connecting the dots, evangelism, by the way. Well, Jesus died for your sins. You know that you're not perfect, right? And so you know that your good works won't get you into heaven. So, But at the same time, the Bible says to be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect, but I can't. Wait, so Jesus is perfect, and Jesus died in your place. So trust in him, and that's how you bridge the chasm, right? Which is true. But what's the reality today? Are people still there? Do you see the young man with the question mark on his head, I guess? <laughs> Look how close he is to that chasm. Here's what I suggest are some changes that have taken place. Let's look at the next slide. Now, not only are people not up to the edge, they're not even close to it. They're further back. What do you mean they're further back? Well, their questions have changed, right? They're much more different than how can I be forgiven or receive Jesus, right? And not only are they further back, look at this next slide. They're in a hole. And so in our one, two, three model, we keep it as easy as one, two, three. There are three barriers that we name that everyone usually has, and it's been true of every guy I've met with in the past two years. On some level, this is where we find we meet people. So what's the approach? If this is the case, what's the approach that's needed with people today to share the good news? And if you're in the hole, it's really based on a bad experience, right, and results in isolation. So what I'm suggesting is the three in the one, two, three, I'm going backwards. It's a great way to do this, right? Three barriers. And I've encountered this with almost every person I've met with in the, in the last three years. And one of those barriers is an emotional barrier. This is a bad experience with church. Uh, this is a, an experience growing up that, that you haven't gone back into and assigned meaning to, and it's, it's caused you to be stuck for all these years. You're mad at God. You're mad at almost everything around you, anything that reeks of good or healthy or spiritual or, or decent, you're, you're repulsed by because you haven't moved past hurt or pain in your own life. That's where I've experienced um, a lot of folks. So the emotional barrier is really good for us to be aware of, and the response to that is very, very different, right? It's relationship. Okay, so let's look at this next slide. So, so based on that, we think about how do we introduce people to, to a relationship with God? Let's look at this next slide. It's basically, uh, before we get there, the big question, you know, at the end of the day is, well, how do we get out of the hole? And so uh, before we show this clip, I want to describe to you, when I first came on staff, one of the first young men that I started meeting with, this is where it just like screamed out to me, oh my gosh, this is it. Um, I... Uh, I started meeting with this young man who had, who had played, played baseball at Vandy and moved away. And he had come back to town because he had lost both parents, one to cancer and one in a tragic accident. So he moved back to Nashville to try to put things back together. And you can imagine, not only was he not at the edge of the chasm, but he was as far back as you can get and as far in the hole as you can get. And two, literally two weeks into my time at search, I was introduced to this young man and I had lost my father five years ago unexpectedly. And what did I do? We sat and we had conversation. We sat at Starbucks and I began to, to slowly and gently pursue him. And related every moment I could to the pain and what he was experiencing in the hole. 
in hopes that I could get, get a bridge. Like, how do, I, how, do I, how do I get us out of here? Check out this West Wing clip. I think it explains it really, really, really well and really fun. All the same, I, I need some more therapy. Oh, you're going to get some. I mean now. Merry Christmas, Josh. We can order pizza. <laughs> Have a good night. Stanley, I haven't told you my dreams yet. Fax them over to me. Merry Christmas. How'd it go? Did you wait around for me? How'd it go? He thinks I may have an eating disorder. Josh. And uh, fear of rectangles. That's not weird, is it? I didn't cut my hand on a glass. I broke a window in my apartment. This guy's walking down the street when he falls in the hole. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a friend walks by, hey, Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. That's where we are. So you think about where people are and how do you get there with someone's story? How do you approach someone with, with, with relationship, understanding that they may not be on the edge of the chasm like where we started 10, 20 years ago? So let's look at this next slide. This is the continuation of that journey. Uh, through relationship, this is the idea. Can we build relationship and build bridges to help people literally get out of the hole? But that, I mean, that's still, that's not even, at the end of the day, that's not even, that's a step, right? So let's click on the next slide. So think about it. Based on bad experiences, results in isolation, the response is relationship. Like I've been there before on some level, right? That's the relationships, again, 9 out of 10 of them building with people, is that I have to spend time connecting with something inside myself, again, connected followers of Jesus, connected to what God has done in my own story, connecting with something in me to help me relate and connect with the person right in front of me and what's going on with them. And that, my friends, is called connection, which builds relationship. And over time, the two principles in the one, two, three are very simple. Everybody's spiritual journey is a process. And number two is the results are up to God. But if you take a process-oriented approach to this and realize that God can use me and he will use me, and your radar is up for who are those, who's the one person in front of me that needs relationship, you'll see getting down in the hole is worth it with people. Two years in with this young man, uh, it's one of the greatest compliments I've received to date uh, over my time in in search and with, with folks who are searching for meaning for sure uh as we process a lot of life and some big questions one of the things he shared with me probably three weeks ago was simply this he says man i just i just want to take a second to thank you because i don't know why but you've you've pursued me so hard over the past few years and my walls have been so high 
but you just kept pursuing me, and I just want to thank you for that. I mean, I almost teared up right in front of him, just the fact that he would acknowledge he felt pursued, which means I felt like I was pursuing someone who didn't care half the time, which is normally, that's a normal feeling, like you're chasing after people who really don't really need you, you'll feel that. Fear of, man, do I feel like, a, does this guy think I'm an idiot, or do I just need friends that bad? Like, I felt all that stuff going on in me, but started enjoying hanging out with him, and he started enjoying it too, and we've been having incredible conversations around uh, life and God and his, certainly his parents' career, where's it going, and all of that centered on uh, foundationally where God has me and me sharing my relationship with Jesus with him, and it's been, I mean, it's been crazy awesome to experience that with this young man and the fact that he would look at me and, and all I could picture in my head was we've got a stairway we got it we're getting out of there so emotional barriers they come in all shapes and sizes all shapes and sizes the first time um, uh, the first time I met two guys um, last week on Monday back to back both of them 28 years old both of them had the same story both of them had lost one or two parents to alcoholism Unrelated folks. Now, what does that have to do with evangelism? Everything. Everything. It's all connected. Um, there's a quote on that pink sheet of paper that I want you to pay attention to. I think it was in your seat. If I could share one thing with you guys this morning, and if I had one thing to say... I would just remind you of this. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Isn't that incredible? You think about the feelings that you associate with being heard by someone. They're always positive, always incredible. Being heard is so close to being loved, oftentimes they're indistinguishable. And the number one skill that I embody as an evangelist, it's listening. When's the, when's the last time you heard that? I mean, go after people. Pursue someone. Not to share, not to talk, not to judge, not because they have some problem that your other family member needs to, them to address. It's none of that. It's just relationship and listening. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, listening is in short supply in the world today. People aren't used to being listened to. Pastoral listening, which is what we do, what everyone in this room can do, pastoral listening requires unhurried leisure. Even if it's only for five minutes, leisure is a quality of spirit, not a quantity of time called attunement. You're dialed in. Only in that ambiance of leisure do persons know they are listened to with absolute seriousness, treated with dignity and importance. And you got to catch this line, man. This, this one blows me away to this day. Speaking to people does not have the same personal intensity as listening to them. Personal intensity. Speaking to people does not have the same personal intensity as listening to them. I think it's just where we are today. I think there's so many people talking, people have no idea what to make of it. And they're just talking louder, right, to be heard. 
So when someone comes across their path who genuinely cares and genuinely listens, which research would say that, that the, the number one quality that non-believers want in a spiritual friend or someone to have conversation with is listening in a non-judgmental way. That's the number one quality that non-believers are after. This is a brand new study, by the way, in, in the book Revi- Re- Reviving Evangelism, study, a cross-study with Barna and a group called Alpha. That's the number one characteristic uh, curious seekers were after in, in people uh, who consider themselves Christians. They listen and stay out of judgment. It's tough, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it's, it's so worth it. Again, a person's spiritual journey is a process, and we trust God with the results. So, so let's look at what happens then. I've talked about one of the barriers, and, and again, the two guys I met with last week, I named it. It came up, and here's what happens, by the way. Here's what happens every time. So tell me about you. What's going on with you? What do you do? Work? Love talking about work, getting there. And then all of a sudden, uh, in, in a passing comment, yeah, and then, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I have been married, you know, for so long. And, you know, my, my parent, my, uh, my mom passed away. They've been divorced for, you know, 10 years. My mom passes away from alcoholism a few years back. And, you know, boom, 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 boom. And we move on through the conversation. And I know in that moment in time, I've got to pay attention to a potential barrier this guy might have to taking any steps towards God. Remember, I'm not asking him to start a personal relationship with Jesus today. I'm praying God would allow me a relationship to help him take a next step. And a next step might be looking at how is all that connected to the way I see God. So by the end of that conversation, I came back and said, I shared my story of tragedy, which I'm going to go into in just a moment. And I looked at him and said, and I want to thank you for sharing that about your parents. I know that had to be hard. And man, the shift at the table is palpable every time. You've got to acknowledge pain. You've got to acknowledge what's difficult with people. Feeling heard is so close to being loved, they can't even distinguish it. So we would all in this room go, man, we need to love one another, right? And if you look at the biggest verses in the Bible on evangelism, they are not what you think they are. As Jesus is meeting with the disciples, right, at the end of his time with them, one of the things he prays for is what? For them to be what? One. Because oneness and unity is how others are going to know that you're my disciples, by the way that we love one another. Well, how do we love people? You've got to have some tools in your belt there. I'm not asking you to be Billy Graham. I'm not asking you to be on the stage proclaiming there are folks in this room with that gift. But for the 96% of us, we're going to have to listen intensely. Intensely. We're going to have to be committed to a process of people. And celebrating the process and seeing what God does over time with people. That's what I love about it. Actually, it's pretty exciting because you have no idea who you're about to meet with half the time if you're pursuing people. You have no idea what's coming up, where they are, where it's going. Where it's going to end, you really don't know. That's exciting to me. But the only way to get to questions, the only way to get to questions is through listening. Most powerful questions you ask people are the fruit of good listening. You listen with your ears, but you hear with your heart. So there's the emotional barrier. So let's take a look at what else. So let's say that we've, we've, you know, we're moving in relationship with people. Now, the intellectual barrier, search traffics in big questions and intellectual questions. I mean, we traffic in them. We've got books on them. 
I'm glad you asked. We've got a new one coming out in the fall. You got questions, we got answers. I mean, that's kind of how it, how it comes, right? And it's fun because, uh, you know, while at the same time I'm on a weekly call, I, I, I mean, we focus on life's big questions. Does God exist? You know, all the way on down to specific objections to Christianity. You know, what about good works? What about, can you lose your salvation? All of those fun questions. And even in the middle, what about evil and suffering? Why is there so much bad stuff in the world? People are genuinely wrestling with some of that. Not everyone, but there are a lot of them. So that's why we traffic in those questions. Spend time on them every week, thinking through them, praying through them. Uh, what's my response? What do I think about that? I mean, I'm in my head about it. And it's good because oftentimes it'll come up. So we've got emotional barriers, intellectual barriers, and you'll know pretty quick uh, which one of those folks are facing. Pretty quick. So let's take a look at one more as we think about where people are. And this is probably the toughest one. And uh, this has been the toughest moment of my past year with a young man I met. This is called a natural barrier. This is based on human nature, results in independence, response. It's total reliance on God for this young man or this young woman. Um, it's also called the volitional barrier. It's more like pride. There's, you, you know, the barrier is yourself, basically. I'm not taking next step towards God because I don't, I don't need him. I'm perfectly fine without him, and I've heard that. I mean, I jumped into a, a situation. I met a guy at an open forum probably a year ago now. I'll never forget this. This is the first time I've had outright just rejection in my life about, about faith. I mean, the first time in 20 years. But we met two or three times. And if I told you this, there are 12 questions we deal with, and I'm glad you asked. He went through all 12 of them in one meeting. <laughs> I mean, just boom, 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 boom. And it was like I couldn't even get a grip on what was really there because the questions just kept firing and kept firing and kept firing. And I knew in the back of my mind... I. It's presenting itself as intellectual, but there's something else going on, right? So all I could do was keep listening and keep probing, asking questions and offering. And he, finally, I got the email that just said, man, um, if you don't mind just leaving me alone, I really don't want to talk about God anymore. I don't like talking about it. And all of the things that I'd shared with him, he said, some of it makes sense, but the majority of it is trash, garbage, you know, on and on and on. And I remember closing the email going, man, this is, I mean, this is, this is rough, Getting into relationship with people, is, it's rough. It's messy. And so those are the three barriers. I think that's helpful language. If you're going to pursue people in relationship, you're going to see. And, and to be honest, there's folks in this room that have some of those barriers right now. You have questions. You have intellectual, natural barrier. You have emotional barriers. There are things you know in your, in your journey, in your story, that you're like, I don't know what to do with that. It's keeping me from taking next steps. Does that make sense? So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm giving you guys this tool because I think it's so, so helpful uh, when it comes to, to building relationships, starting that whole journey. So, um, so, so let me do this. I, I want to share with you guys, here, here, here's a few tools. My goal this morning was to be super practical, Romans 10, 9. It gives us an incredible, credible model. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, right, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. And so one of the things I've pursued over the last two years is what does it mean to believe in your heart? What is the heart, right? I want to show you a picture of the heart as I see it in Scripture. And, and here's a path that I walk with. Here's the back of my mind. This is what's on my mind. It's in my heart every time I meet with someone. And again, the idea is, is listening intensely, going after people with questions, being available, right? Being resourceful, that kind of thing. 
But I started looking at the heart. Um, if heart is where belief happens and heart is where change happens, if I looked at, if I looked at you guys this morning and asked you the question, how do people change, which I've done with 100 people, how do you think people change? Nine times out of ten, people kind of go after some external things that would need to happen for people to change about habits, disciplines, you know, uh, 75-day challenge, you know, get into it, grind it out. And then I started looking at what the Bible says about the heart, like what's really in there? What is the heart? How did the Hebrew people approach the heart? And this is the grid I use with every person I meet with almost on a weekly basis. And here's what I found as we study what the heart is. I just, I've just found that the scriptures as a whole view the heart as the center of our being. That's the heart. And I believe 100% that that's where change takes place. And it's where belief happens in the heart. So watch this. I'll give you just a couple of quick examples. Top left are your thoughts. Bottom right, what are you feeling? Your feelings. Bottom left, desires. Top right are your choices. That's the heart. So watch this. Matthew 9, 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Well, how are we thinking evil in our hearts? Our thoughts are part of the center of our being. It's part of our heart. That's how the Hebrew people saw the heart. Romans 9, 1 through 2. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and an unceasing anguish in my heart. There's grief in my heart. There it is. It's in there. So the feelings, what makes us a person totally normal, are in our heart. Worth exploring. Desire, Psalm 37, 3 through 4, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So there they are. So when I'm with people on a heart level, connection is most important for me. And here are the things that I'm exploring with people. Notice that when you go back to choices, before you choose and use your will, one of the things you go through is the cross. So oftentimes, and I've actually done this literally on the floor, draw a grid and walk people through it. I just want to know when it, when it comes to your life and what's going on, what you just shared, what are you thinking? What are the thoughts that are going through your mind? And it's so helpful for people to process through this. Down to the bottom right, what are you feeling? Explore those deeper emotions. Like, Have you named them? Have you identified and explored some of that? That's usually where a lot of aha means. And, and then going up to the left, I, this is, these are the questions in the grid that I use with almost every person I meet with. What are you hoping for? What are you looking for? What are you desiring? Right? So, so next slide is another big picture. These are the questions that are really helpful when I think about relational evangelism. If I lead with questions and I lead with listening... One of the things I'm doing with people is just exploring what's going on in them because I believe that they're not on the edge. They're further back than we could ever imagine, and, and 9 out of 10 are in a hole. And so I want to know what's going on in you first and foremost. And so this is what I do. I just explore these questions. What are some of your thoughts? The three most important words in evangelism today are tell me more. Tell me more. What are you feeling about it? Can you unpack that? What feeling do you sense stirring in you? Like just, just going after what's really going on in people. Having a grid to do that with. Does that kind of work with people? Love people this way. And you will be 
utterly amazed at the connection and the vulnerability and the openness that would come from your lost friends, lost meaning, missing and valuable, by the way. You'll be shocked at how, how much connection and openness and vulnerability comes forth in those conversations when you go after people like this. So I'll say it like this. This is uh, the word heart. The Hebrew word levav translates as heart and describes the center of a person's whole being. Ancient people understood the heart was a beating organ in one's chest, but the heart in Scripture carries deeper meaning. Heart is the most important term that Scripture uses to describe our core identity, the part of us from which all of life flows. The heart is where we believe. The heart is where we believe. The top right is choose, right? If you think about every believer in this room, they're, on some level, your whole heart's been impacted by the gospel, and it comes out in your choices. You have a renewed mind. Think about those feelings and emotions. That's where healthy relationships reside, below that line. Bottom left, your hopes and desires, a satisfied soul. That's what I want for every person I meet with in the journey on some level for the gospel to hit their heart so hard it impacts their entire being. So that's why I spend time exploring the person. Does that make sense? All right, so let me give you some practical tools. That's one of them. Again, that's just in, that's in the, the grid in which I work with people on a day-to-day basis. So we're going to go after people one-on-one. Again, this is just relational evangelism one-on-one. It's about asking questions. And I'll remind you of this, by the way. I, I'm, not, I'm not making up relational as a new category. I'll just share this with you. This is read-it-for-yourself material. The Bible records 307 questions that Jesus asked, along with 183 questions asked of him. But do you know how many times he gave a direct answer? Somebody guess. Three? Eight times. Eight times he gave a direct answer. Why is that? Man, it's, it's powerful to ask questions, number one. But two, drawing out what's already in there is... It's the way to go with people. Just drawing out what's already in there. And you can do that with questions, open questions. So I'll give you a few questions that uh, I love asking people that usually lead to some really great conversation. And again, my mission day to day is to help people take a next step towards God, and that's how I'm framing this whole deal. So don't forget the three most important words in evangelism, tell me more. Tell me more about that. It's curiosity and it's listening at its finest. One of my favorites is really simple. It's this. Hey, tell me about your spiritual journey. What's that been like for you? And you'll find that people, some people, this is 9 out of 10 for me in Nashville, had some level of growing up in church or religion that has, they have departed from. For reasons they probably haven't explored in years, but now they have X, Y, Z going on in their life, and it feels like time to talk about it again. This is a way to get there, though. Tell me about your spiritual journey. Open forum question that I lead with from time to time. We did this around COVID uh, in a room full of 30, 50 people. Hey, if you could ask God one question about 
what would it be? Just curious. If you could ask God one question right now in your life, what, what would it be? I think people are pretty stunned by that type of curiosity and interest in themselves, that kind of thing. But just honestly, genuinely, genuinely ask it for the sake of listening to what they have to say. No, there's no response needed. You don't have to fix it. Let's just say it's big and scary. Like, I don't, you know, I don't go to church anymore because, and it sounds really scary to us. And like, whoa, now we've got issues. No, it's, the idea is just get it out. Can we get it on the table? And then for them to feel an experience, but I'm not going anywhere. That's next step material right there. So tell me about your spiritual journey. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? And another one in conversation that's just really, really helpful. And again, it's, it's staying out of judgment and just genuinely being uh, interested in what's going on in the conversation is really this. That's an interesting conclusion. Like, how did you get there? Like, how did you draw that conclusion? Whatever came up about where they are spiritually or what they believe about God or Jesus about the purpose of life, meaning of life. That's super interesting. How did you get there? And just see what they say. Like genuinely, be honest and you know, curious about what's going on in other people, right? So at the end of the day, um, th that's the so what. What I would ask you guys to do and consider this week, who, in, who is one person, one person in your life? Focus on the one. And use one of these questions this week. Like, who is someone I could pursue one-on-one -on -one in relationship and then just ask them a simple question at some point in the conversation? Hey, tell me about your spiritual journey. I actually have never heard about it. What is that? Who's the one person and the one question you could ask this week to someone in your life? Does that make sense? Jeff, come on up. That's as close as we can get. Yeah, take a minute and just pray and think, Lord, who is, we use that phrase a lot around here, by the way, taking the next step, next right step. Ask the Lord to put on your mind and heart, who's that next person to have this conversation with? Yeah. that person maybe ask the Lord now to begin to work circumstances situations uh, to make that conversation happen really put some some uh, shoe leather on this thing Part of how we pray for the lost is we we pray for people we know very specifically and opportunities. So uh, begin praying for that for that person. It's a great way to do it. Take a minute to pray for that person.
right now. Stand with me this morning, if you would. Lord Jesus, we come to you and um, we know that the scriptures in, in, in a comprehensive way teaches us to uh, pray to you about men and women before we talk to men and women. And so, Lord, I praise the church this week that you would use uh, the tools that, that Greg gave us uh, to really put on our mind and heart, who is that person? Man, I want to sit down and ask some open-ended questions uh, that he went over this morning. And even others, many others, just listening and engaging and building trust and praying all the time because we, we really do have the answer to all of life. And we're grateful for that. And I pray we'd be good stewards by giving it away. We love you, and we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.